0: to kick off a brand new series today and it's it's out of isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 there's a little verse tucked away in there that isaiah talks about the coming messiah and that he would be a wonderful counselor there'd be a lot of things that he would do the prince of peace there'd be a lot of things that he would he, he that he would be able to accomplish while he was here but the greatest thing i believe is those two words before we read the verse, it's isaiah 9 verse 6 i just kind of want to give you the setting of where this verse came from we'll read this verse every week and 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 this verse came on the heels of of the children of israel of of the they were in great distress so what was going on as as we read this verse it seems it's always a christmas verse typically you know or it's a cheerful verse but it came in a in a really dark time The Assyrians had just invaded Israel and their army and and, and had taken everything. And so they had just lost basically their their government. They had lost the structure of civilization as they knew it. And they were kind of on the run. That was chapter eight. But then chapter nine, Isaiah kind of turns the page and he gives some hope. Now this was written, this verse came around 740 B.C. So this is, you know, we're talking thousands of years old. And here's the promise that he gives them in a time, a, a dark time, a trying time for the people of Israel. Isaiah 9 verse 6, he says, just, just, just keep your eyes, look up, because there's, a, there's light coming. <laughs> for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government that they had just lost will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so we're going to read this verse every week as we go through this series. And so what I want us to do is, last week I I gave a little bit of this out, but I talked about the questions that Jesus was asked. When we read through the New Testament, he was asked like 183 questions. People wanted to know a lot of things from him. They asked him a lot of questions of the 183 questions, he answered less than five. Typically, he would would answer with a parable or he would answer with another question. But this series particularly, Wonderful Counselor, I want you to see the other side of that coin because Jesus asked about 30% more questions than than he was asked himself. He asked over 300 questions. And when we read the gospels and we read the way that he interacted with people, And the things that he did, he asked a lot of questions. And that word, wonderful counselor, it's a beautiful word. The word wonderful, it means outside of human reason. When something is wonderful, when it's full of wonder, we look at it and we know it came from somewhere else. Right? The first time I went out west, I drove around in wonder, looking at the Rocky Mountains and knowing this came from somewhere else. (laughs) first time I seen these white sand and I heard the the quartz squeaking under my feet in the beautiful blue water, I'll never forget it. I knew. I felt like I just walked onto a different planet, wonder. And the prophecy that's given about Jesus was that he was going to be a wonderful counselor, that he was going to be able to give advice. What's a counselor do? He, He asks questions and he helps us see different perspectives. She helps us see different perspectives. Well, one of the primary roles of Jesus and what he came to do was to give people advice and perspective that was outside of this world. And he did it by asking a lot of questions. A lot of questions. And you would think that the Son of God, who knew everything, would come and have a lot of answers. That's easy, right? I want to I go, and I have, here's my list of problems. I'm going to go and meet with somebody because I want the answers. But Jesus didn't give answers. He asked hard questions. He didn't provide easy answers. Uh, Again, he was asked 180 questions. He only answered a handful. But he asked a lot of hard questions. He asked a lot of hard questions. Questions like, what are you looking for? John chapter 1. Who are you looking for? John chapter 18. Why are you looking for me? Luke chapter 2. What do you want for me to do? Luke chapter 18. Lots of questions. So out of the 300 questions that he asked, I want to focus on four. And the way I came up with those four is in the Gospel of John, there's there's seven miracles, total miracles. Apart from, you know, Jesus, he kind of came into this world as a miracle and he left as a miracle. You know, the Immaculate Conception, the Resurrection, apart from those two miracles, there's seven right there in the middle. And a lot of scholars believe that John, the way that he listed them, they all kind of build on each other. The first miracle is is something that he did with water, turned it into wine. We're going to talk about that one today. And the last miracle, he resurrects a four-day-old dead body out of the grave. And so the five in between there, they all build on each other. But of those seven miracles, four of them were initiated with a question. And those are the four that we're going to look at over the next four weeks. He asked a question. The miracle hinged on the question that he asked. Could he have just healed somebody? Absolutely. Could he have just spoke his word and turned water into wine? Sure. He could have done it. The lame man that was, you know, the pool of Bethesda that had been there for over 30 years, could he have just walked up and healed that man? He could have. But he asked him a question first. And these questions are important. Questions open up doors for us. Questions are the way that we connect with people. John Maxwell wrote a book. I'm a big fan of John Maxwell called Great Leaders, or I'm sorry, Good Leaders Ask Great Questions. And I want to give you just a few things out of that book. Why are questions so powerful? I think number one, questions unlock and open doors that would otherwise remain closed. Jesus asked questions because he knew it would cause people to think. Jesus asked questions because he knew it would open up things not only for them in the physical world, but in the spiritual world. They had to go inside. James 4 says it like this. You have not because you, you haven't asked the right question. I say that to my son all the time. Hey, Dad, I want some milk. That's not the right. No, no, no. Hang on. Ask that again, right? You know, or ask it nicely. It's, 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 so he Questions open doors for us, and you know, in that book that John Maxwell wrote, "Good Leaders Ask Great Questions." It's more of a leadership book, but but anything in life, you know, whatever we lead in our life, the way that we really connect and get to know more about a person in our relationships, our spouse, our friends, our family, is we ask questions. Nobody likes to be around a person that just wants to talk about themselves all the time. Can I get an amen? And when we ask questions. We get to find out more about the other person. And that's the second thing. That When we ask questions, it's the most efficient way to connect with people. When we ask a question, we learn something about that person. I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus asked so many questions. You know, he, he, he got to know more about the person. He, it actually what would begin to happen, and, and you'll see that every miracle that we're going to look at over the next four weeks, it was a, it was a group project. He got people involved, and that's how he got the crowd involved. That's how he got the disciples involved, right? There was 5,000 people. This, we're going to look at this miracle. And, and, and Jesus goes to the disciples and says, Hey, boys, how are we going to feed these people? He knew exactly how he was going to feed those people. But he asked the question because it was connecting him. It now involves the disciples into what Jesus was about to do. And then the third thing that questions do, and every time we're asked a good question it changes our perspective. It helps us look at whatever we're facing in a different angle when we ask questions. And so over the next couple of weeks, I want to look at how Jesus interacted with people. But I specifically want to look at how these miracles took place. And specifically in the Gospel of John. Because miracles, I believe miracles are microcosms. There's, there's more to the miracle than just the story that the way that Jesus healed and the way that Jesus delivered and the way that Jesus did the things that he done 2000 years ago when he was walking this earth is the same way he's going to do them now. And so as we begin to look at these that these miracles and the things that happen, I, my prayer is that we're going to begin to see these things happening in our own lives. That that maybe we'll hear some questions that God's been asking us for a while that we haven't been able to hear before. And so miracles, as we look at these stories, the stories that resulted in miracles, we're going to see how important that they are. And, and I'll give them to you. We're, Water to wine is our, is our text today, John 2, the pool of Bethesda, John chapter 5, Jesus feeds 5,000 in John chapter 6, and then Lazarus in John chapter 11. And so that'll be our homework. That's what we'll, we'll go for over for the next couple of weeks. And so our first story takes place in John chapter 2. And John lets everybody know that this was the first miracle of Jesus. John lets everybody know that this kind of put Jesus in the, in the miracle game. And up to that point, nobody knew who he was. Maybe his family did. I, I think they did. But let's read it together. John chapter 2 verse 1 says, On the third day a wedding took place in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples and also, had also been invited to this wedding. Verse three, and when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. I mean, this is the third day of the party. It's important to have wine. And, uh, and so, <laughs> verse four, Dear woman, why do you involve me? So Jesus is asked, I almost get a little sassy, I feel like, with his mom here. You know, some translations say, woman, what does that have to do with me? Well, I think the message says, you know, that's not my problem. I don't know. Never caught that. And so, verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. (laughs) And so, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now I want you to see this. This is the first miracle. This is as some scholars say was kind of the lowest on the totem pole miracle, but check this out. These these barrels right here, let me just say how much wine that they were drinking, that how much wine that he water he turned into wine. This is about 12 gallons right here. All right? So he took 12 barrels this size of water Pretty impressive. It wasn't just a bottle of wine, y'all. I mean, this is, this is a lot of wine. He could have set up a, I mean, this is, this, is, this is a big deal. And so in verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars of water. So he filled them to the brim, and then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he didn't realize where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everybody brings out the, you know, the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after you know, everybody's had too much to drink. But you saved the best for last. This was non-fermented wine, by the way, for all my Baptist folks in here. No, I'm just, I mean, how can you... Uh, verse 11, this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples... Put their faith in Him. All right, this is incredible here. So Jesus' first miracle—he didn't save a person; he saves a party. (laughs) Right? First miracle. I I love this because it it just—it makes. I feel like it makes Jesus a little more approachable. I feel like you know sometimes we we save church and miracles for you know the big things. I've been asked to do a lot of stuff. We've had people call the church. They, wanted, they thought their cat was possessed. Uh, they want to do an exorcism on a cat. Uh, I've had people call. They thought their ha- attic was possessed. They wanted me to come and cast the devil out of their attic. Um, I, I, we've had people call and ask for some, some pretty you know strange things. But to this point, I have never had anyone call me or the church because they ran out of booze at a wedding party. On day three, okay. Hasn't happened yet. And now here is Jesus. He's 30 years old. He's been working in the wood shop up to this point. And they're at a wedding. The disciples are there. And they run out of wine. And what I want you to see right out of the gate is just the way that Jesus responded to his mom. It was almost like he was hesitant. Right? I mean, it was, it was like, I mean, she didn't ask him to do anything. She didn't come to him and say, hey, Jesus, I've been watching you out in the woodshop, you know, turning those tables into, like, you know, animals. And whatever. Like, I've been watching you out there, and I know there's something unique about you. And No, 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 no. She just made a statement. They're out of wine. But he almost reacts like, what does that have to do with me? Some scholars believe that Jesus knew that the first miracle that went public would start the clock on what is known as the season of miracles for his life. And so John tells us that if every miracle that he performed was, was written down, all the books of the world couldn't fill it. But we have seven that he gives us. There's about 34 total in the four gospels. But when this this moment began, this this was his first miracle. It was almost like now the whole world knew there was something different about him. And Jesus, I think, maybe had been working in the woodshop. Maybe he got comfortable in there. And, And maybe he knew that as soon as he turned this water into wine, everybody was going to know who he was. And it kind of set the clock to where he was heading. We just spent several weeks in John 17. And we know how his story ended. We know the season he had to walk through. And so maybe he wasn't ready for that. Maybe he knew if I turn this water into wine and I perform this miracle, I'm not going to be able to hide who I am anymore. I don't know. But a few things about miracles that I want to give you right out of the gate. And the question Jesus said, you know, asked his mom is, why do you involve me? What I'm noticing with these miracles that we have is, is miraculous moments usually begin with a problem. Have you noticed that? Miraculous opportunities that, that we pray for miracles and we just sang an amazing song about miracles. We all want miracles, but we don't want the problem. <laughs> right? We want Jesus to work in our life, and I want, to, I want to see the miraculous. I want to see things happen in my life, but I don't want to be in a situation that requires a miracle. And what is a miracle? I mean, a miracle is, I mean, that's something that happens that we know didn't come from man. We know it didn't come from, from, from my own, you know human intuition. We know that it's something that miraculously took, takes place in our life or in the life of somebody around us. But every single miracle that we read about especially the four that we're gonna study, starts with a problem. They're out of wine, doesn't seem like a big deal. It was a big deal to them. You know, a wedding was a big feast. If you've been to a Jewish wedding, you know they, they throw down, okay? They, they are carrying people on chairs, they're busting glass, they're having a good time. And it was kind of a dishonoring thing if a family couldn't take care of all the guests and the wine was a big deal. It doesn't seem like a big problem, but it was a big problem to that family And then we have, you know, the 5,000 that that follow Jesus and they they had no food to feed them. And and that's a big problem, feeding 5,000 people. We have the guy at the pool of Bethesda that had been sitting there 34 years. And his problem was he didn't have anybody to help him. Been laying around that pool for a long time. And then we got Lazarus. Where that's a big problem, y'all. Okay? Not only is that a big problem, but Pastor Jesus missed the visitation and the funeral. And then he shows up and Mary, and my, they're mad, y'all. I mean, we're going to talk about it. They are mad. Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Where you been? We had to do the viewing, the funeral, and we buried him and you were nowhere to be found. I thought you loved him. Big problem, y'all. And I'm noticing in life, if, if we really want to see the miraculous, oftentimes it's teed up with a problem. And we've tried, and we've tried, and we've tried, and we've went to doctors, and we've gotten counsel, we've got lawyers involved, we've did everything that we know to do, and it's just not getting better. This miracle started, it's kind of small, it's just water into wine. But in our life, I believe it's sometimes these these problems that seem as unsurmountable obstacles are there, because Jesus wants to work miracles in our life. And the problem is not the problem. Oftentimes, the problem is our perspective of the problem. <laughs> and if we can get a different perspective, come on now. If we can say, you know what, the darker it gets, the, the brighter it's going to be when the light comes, right? You know, uh, the, more, the, the, the farther it seems that I'm moving away from the solution, I know that God can even meet me in those valley moments, that God can even meet me in those places, that, that it's these big old problems. That God will use to show us that he's real. That God will use to show himself strong. Because he doesn't like sharing the glory. Because if a doctor gave you a script and it fixed it, now you think it's the medicine that did it. Or if somebody gave you the money and bailed you out, now you think it's them that, that did it. Or you know, But he says, no, I want you to get to the point where you've exhausted everything you know to do, and, and, and now here you are. And I know it's just, a, it's just a small miracle we're talking about today, but miracles, a lot of times, they will feel like our back is against the wall. we got no other choice. I like to reason a lot. <laughs> I, I like to try to run scenarios, and I want to I try to fix things in my own strength before I bring it to God. I do that all the time. But in this miracle, it's just water to wine. The wedding party's getting bored. They, need, they, 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 they ran out of wine. Mom comes to Jesus and says, hey, they're out of wine. Jesus just responds like, what has that got to do with me? I'm sure they'd been to a wedding before. I'm sure this wasn't their first wedding. But the second thing I want you to see in this story is that oftentimes Miracles will come in environments that just seem mundane. They'll come disguised. Mundane just means the ordinary. I've been to a hundred weddings. I've done this a hundred times. I've, I've, I've driven to work. I can't even count now. I'm going on thousands of times. I've driven the same street. I've driven the same road. It's in our ordinary everyday lives where, where miracles will begin to work their way in. That Jesus will meet us in those places. And, and in this moment here, in this story, uh, you know, Jesus is just another day. I think it's just another wedding. And maybe he didn't even recognize what was going on. Maybe he didn't realize, I mean, maybe it took, I, I want you to catch this for a moment. Maybe it took his mom. Maybe, maybe that was all a part of this miracle. That it was just an ordinary wedding and they ran out of wine. It was just an ordinary day, but something special was about to happen. And I think, we, you know, we look at miracles or we look for miracles and we, we think that they'll happen at church or if I, if I pray enough or, you know, if I, if I get anointed with, an, with enough oil to fry 37 chickens, I'm going to get that miracle, y'all. You know, no, no, if, I, if I pray hard enough, I mean, I mean and we, we do those things and those things are good. But I want you to see in this story, it's just another, it's just a day. It's just a typical day. It's just a typical wedding. Just ordinary, regular day. And oftentimes these miracle moments that happen in our life, you know, there's not this announcement. It's these little small nudges. For Jesus, it was his mother. She was a prophetess, y'all, come on. For Jesus, it was mom. And she she brought this this opportunity to him. Heard a story about a, a businessman, I'm gonna just call his name Greg and he was flying and he flies a lot for business and he was getting ready to t- get on the flight and typically for me i, I mean some people like to like to fly cuz they like to be social i'm not that person okay i, you know, <laughs> I will put on i've got headphones and a book and i know that seems, should be you know I, I don't know if that's bad or good but but greg was like that greg was flew for business and he had to fly 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 all the time this is just another day so he got on the flight, he sat down, and he sat next to this, this girl. She looked to be 16 or 17 years old, and he could tell she was distressed. He could tell something was going on. And he started feeling that nudge. He started feeling that, that, that still, small voice. You need to talk to her. You need to say something. And he didn't do it. He ignored it. She put her headphones in, and, and then, but he, he couldn't shake that feeling. So finally he said, hey, I, I don't... I don't know you and I don't typically do this but is there anything going on in your life that I can pray about and in the story he, he she just started to weep on the plane so that nudge was right that Greg had and she shared with him that she had stole her dad's car and her dad's credit card and she was pregnant and her boyfriend said you need to go away and get get rid of that and get take care of that and this girl, 17, by herself, who has ran from home and stole her dad's car and credit card, is on this plane about to go to Las Vegas to take care of business in her mind. And so Greg did the only thing he knew to do is he, he just shared the gospel with her. Simple. Again, it's just an everyday, mundane, another flight, but this time it wasn't. She fl- they landed in Vegas. She called her mom and dad, said, hey, this is what's going on. Uh, I'm sorry, mom and dad said, all right, we're going to put you back on the next plane. You're coming home. That day, maybe two lives were saved. I don't know. But it was just another day for Greg. Just another mundane, just another getting on the plane. Albert Einstein said this. He says, there's two ways to live. Either everything's a miracle or nothing's a miracle. And you got to ask yourself sometimes that, you know, and I'm not saying that we're, we're, we're chasing around miracles. But I'm finding that the people in this story weren't looking for miracles. They were looking for God. And when we look for God, it's like miracles find us. We end up in these moments where, where, where little nudges and little, you need to say something. You should, you, should, you, should, you should text that person. You should call that person. I know this happens all the time. It just somebody's put in your mind or heart or somebody else does it to you. I wish I could share the stories that I need more time apart from it, where people call just out of the blue. You, I'm thinking about you, Pastor. I, this is going on and I felt like I need to share this with you just another day, but it's those little bitty nudges, y'all. It's those, it's those little bitty nudges. When we're able to step out in faith, when we're able to tune our ear, and a lot of times they look like just big old problems. <laughs> Somebody in, that you know, or maybe even in your own life, you just got this big old problem that showed up and knocked on your door and moved in. This story was just water to wine, but I think that was a big deal. And I think what happens is I'm finding in my life, if I can believe God for a headache, it's a whole lot easier to believe him for something bigger. If I can believe God for something small, y'all, if I can believe God to take care of this or take care of that, and I know it's just water to wine, why is it even in there? Why was it his first miracle? I think to show us that there's, there's no problem too small to bring to him. There's nothing in your life you don't care about. And he wants us to bring this stuff to him. And, and, and sometimes, you know, I wish every time there was a miracle. I wish, you know, I, but it doesn't happen that way. But every now and then, every now and then, you know God sh- shows up. You know that it was God. Now here, I want you to catch this, and then we're, we're going to pray. I wish it was Mother's Day because this would be a great Mother's Day message <laughs> because I think Mary knew exactly who Jesus was. And I think Mary knew a whole lot more about Jesus than maybe he realized she knew, right? Right, mama knows best. Come on, don't y'all know that? Like my mom's got this seventh sense, you know, not even a sixth sense. It's another level of it. Like I remember just walking, I'd walk in the house, my mom would look at me and she would just know, where you been? You know what I mean? Like, like she could read me. Like she knew what was going on. She still does. Look at what Mary doesn't do. Mary doesn't go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I know who you are. I know you can do this. There's six stones out front, big canisters. We're going to fill them with water, and you're going to turn this water into wine, son. Okay? Because I know you can do this. You're going to fix this. Now, She didn't do that. It was just this little nudge. Hey Jesus, they're out of wine. And I'm I'm noticing that when people will speak prophetically, a lot of times they don't even know they're doing it. Mary didn't say, "Thus saith the Lord Jesus." It wasn't like that. It was just in their it was in their everyday life. She may not even have known what she was doing, but she was. She was launching Jesus into this, into his purpose, into his destiny. And oftentimes miracles, miracles, if you don't get anything, hear this. They they take place when we can see and listen and understand these, these little naive nudges. Naive nudges. Like, I don't even know why I'm saying this to you, but Jesus, I don't even know why I'm coming to you with this, but they're out of wine. God's going to give us moments like this. I think he does all the time where, where people speak to us and they don't even realize it. You know, Jewish custom, that, that the gift of, of prophecy, was, was they believed that it was something that just happened. It was the crowning point of mental and spiritual development. That as we grow as Christians, as, as we grow, as we walk with God, it just begins to happen. You know, the one way you can tell somebody's not a prophet is if they announce themselves as a prophet. My, in my experience, Prophet stretch a leg. Come on, somebody, put the snake oil up, brother. It just happens through community. It happens when we love our neighbor as ourselves. It happens when I'm flying to Vegas on a business trip, and this girl next to me, I know she's troubled, and I'm just gonna take my headphones out and take this book and close it and just give it a shot. Here, are you okay? It's these naive nudges. I'm gonna read one last verse and then we're gonna pray. In Hebrews, the writer tells us, let us consider how we may spur, nudge, one another on toward love and toward good deeds. It's these nudges, it's what we do. I think that's why it's so important to be a part of a faith family. I think that's why small groups are so important. I know y'all are tired of me talking about small groups. But I'm finding that the real, the real spiritual growth, the real miraculous happens in circles, not in rows. Yes. It happens on the job Monday morning when you show up. It happens when you're driving that truck down the road. It happens when you meet with your boss and, and you know something's going on in his life. You can tell, but, and, and, you're, and you just step out on those nudges by faith, not knowing why you're doing it but you're just going to do it. It's getting uncomfortable for, for the gospel. It's being willing sometimes to look foolish. It's being willing to ask that person, hey, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Leave me alone. All right. <laughs> I tried, right? I had a, a friend that... He actually prayed with me the first, like my, the first prayer I ever prayed really come to. He was a children's pastor at a church in Pace, and he used to always give homeless people. He would give them money all the time. If he's seen a homeless person, he couldn't, he couldn't drive by them. And I'd say, you know they're just going to take that money and probably run in that car right there. And He said, I know, but I don't have to give an account for that. I just have to be obedient to what God's telling me to do. What they do with it, it's up to them. Look for these holy moments in your life. They're there. Look for these, these naive nudges. Is there somebody you can call? Or somebody that you can pray with? Is there, is there somebody that you know they're hurting? And can you go to them? Can you say something? Can you reach out? Or maybe you're here and you're that person. I want you to bow your heads this morning. I want to pray. Father, we thank you so much. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy, Lord. You said every morning it's brand new. Like the dew sets on the grass. Every single morning you said there's enough mercy for the day. That whatever happened in my yesterday, whatever happened in my last year, your mercy comes and takes care of that. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God of mercy. And you're a God of grace. And so, Lord, we come to you and we ask for, God, the faith to to step out in these naive nudges, in these moments where your Holy Spirit's telling us to talk to that person or to call that person. But also, Lord, give us faith to believe you for the miracles when we find ourselves in these moments where we need them, where we need that call. And we need that text, or we need that person to, to step out of their comfort zone. We need that mom to say, hey, they're out of wine, to nudge us into our destiny, to nudge us into what you've called us to do. So, Lord, we're open. We want to hear from you, God. I just, I pray if, if, if you're here this morning and there's every head bowed, every eye closed, and you just, you just need a miracle in your life You've, you've got something in your life that you just can't seem to fix. And you've been trying and trying and trying. And I mean, it may, it may be, I don't, I don't need to know what it is, but, but are you willing to take it to God one more time? And maybe you've already prayed for a miracle. Maybe you've already prayed for healing. And maybe you've already done that. And you've, you've talked to counselors and you've talked to pastors. But, but are, are you willing just one more time to believe again? I want to prod you. I want to encourage you to keep believing. Keep asking God for that miracle. Pray again. Try again. Maybe this time. And I know you may be fighting the same old battle over and over and over. But just maybe this is the morning. Maybe this is the prayer. Maybe this is the time where, where, where you, you look up and you lift head to heaven and you see the help that you need and you receive the help that you need god we believe you we thank you if you need a miracle in your life just look at me i want to pray for you just look at me thank you just look at me thank you just look up at me god bless you thank you thank you i need a miracle i got stuff in my life thank you that i just need help i need i need heavenly help this morning i just need some heavenly help that's what i need i need some counsel from outside of this world that, that's heavenly, a heavenly helper. I just need that. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I just thank you for every person that looked up. Lord, I thank you that you're still in the miracle working business. I thank you, Lord, that you're able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. And God, I just ask right now by your spirit, Lord, that you would bring strength and encouragement. God, every person that lifted their eyes, God, they lifted their eyes to you. David said, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It doesn't come from chariots and horses. It doesn't come from this world. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God, we lift our eyes to you today. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.